Welcome to I've Always Wanted to Watch That, a spin-off podcast from the Average Joe's Movie Club cast. I'm Justin. In this episode, I'll be talking to my longtime friend and movie pal, Ben Higgins. This is Ben's second time meeting up with me in the podcast first, and the first time he was joined the Average Joe's as um, our first guest. We talked about Rumblefish and The Last Jedi, but tonight we're going to be traveling way back to my birth year of 1985 to be checking out Richard Donner's fantasy film, Lady Hawk. Welcome, Ben. How's it going? Oh, it's going well, Justin. Great to be here. All right. Um, I suppose we can go through this whole jazz again. Um, so tell us a little bit about your uh, your background, your love of movies, literature, and the works. Okay, uh, so I am a school library media specialist in kind kind of close to the uh, North Carolina border. Um, you know, reasonably close. If you know yourself. Carolina geography, you can probably guess what major city I'm in. I've uh, been a school librarian since 2012. Uh, I've always loved movies. Certainly, uh, you know, working with you and um, hanging out with you in college, which is where we met, allowed me to really expand my movie going horizons and i saw uh you know i think i i think with you i've started to see a bit more art house films than i even saw uh when i was younger okay all right so just to kind of get a well-rounded view of uh your view on movies i have this thing called the movie blitz and so just okay. the Let's first do. thing that yeah don't think about it too hard just the first thing that pops in I'm your mind <laughs> here we go um what's your all-time favorite movie genre uh action all right any favorites uh pop out there uh lethal weapon by richard donner the first die hard um little off the beaten path Clint Eastwood pick called the Iger Sanction, which is one of my favorites. Um, those those three just jump immediately to my brain. In a nutshell, uh, John Wick, I would say too. What does it for you with the action genre? You would say. Um. Well, you know, growing up in the times that that you and I did. We're used to pretty fast-paced cartoons, and the action genre spoke to me because of those cartoons. Right, cool. All right, can you recall the first movie you saw in a theater? I, I'm just taking a, sh a shot in the dark here, but it probably would be a re-showing at one of those summer movie things of Muppets Take Manhattan. Okay. Favorite superhero movie? Favorite superhero movie, the second X-Men. Okay. Which actually was produced by the Donners. What can I say? <laughs> it all comes full circle tonight. It certainly uh, does. A memorable time you walked out of a movie. Uh if, if you'll remember and your listeners will remember, Justin, there were actually two Robin Hood movies that came out around the same time. There was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and there was another Robin Hood movie called Patrick Bergen. Well, or with Patrick Bergen, who's the lesser known actor. Well, apparently I could not handle the more serious uh, Patrick Berg and Robin Hood, and I walked out of that with my dad. I was pretty young at the time. Okay. Uh, what's the most beautiful movie you've ever seen? The most beautiful movie I've ever seen. Just off the top of my head, God go with Chariots of Fire. Okay. Is that cinematography and story, or uh, yes. mostly oh, story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. 
story really uh, rings rings for me on that one. So had to inquire. All right. If uh, you, do you have, have a, an athletic background, as, as your listeners probably know, more, more than I do. <laughs> though, though, I, though I did JV wrestle for a twinkle in high school. Uh, guilty pleasure. Uh, guilty pleasure, Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Um, movie that you don't get all the hype around. Uh... Well, since we're sticking with the Donner thing, I go with the Goonies. Oh, really? Oh, deep yes. cut for me there. <laughs> Don't get the Goonies, huh? Hmm. Okay. Favorite uh, romance? Favorite romance? Oh gosh, I'm 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 really I'm really trying hard here. I'm just gonna say four weddings and a funeral, but okay. that. I, I don't feel like that's a super accurate answer. Maybe I'd also say when hearing that Sally. Uh, favorite director? Favorite director. Oh, man. So so many fun ones. God, go with my man Hitch if we're going as quickly as possible. Okay. Well, Hitchcock. Um, streaming versus theater. Um, any preferences there? Does it matter? Um, doesn't matter too much. I would, I would say theater, but the thing is, in all fairness, this will give your listeners some perspective. The last movie I saw in a theater, besides this one that was an independent film that I had a cameo in, the last professional film I saw in a theater would have been Onward. And then I had my kid, and then the pandemic hit, and I haven't been back to a theater since for uh, for a big screen flick. Okay. My first time back was um, Sony refuses to throw anything out on digital, so uh, we took the kiddos to see Peter Rabbit 2. Um, not bad. Yeah, you, I, I thought, my recollection is you spoke pretty highly of Peter Rabbit, too, because I felt like we've spoken about this before, if I could be wrong. All right, so um, do you prefer out, art house movies or horror movies? Oh, gosh. I mean, what whatever my wife's willing to watch with me, and she's seen both. I guess we've seen more horror movies over time together, so I'll go with that. Okay. Can you think of uh, the worst movie that comes to your mind? Uh, you know, I saw it when you and I were, were at university together, and I knew it was going to be bad. The Pacifier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with Ben Diesel, I believe. That sounds right. Yeah, I remember being like, why did you go see that in the movies? <laughs> because I to wanted kill. to waste some time, Justin. I wanted yeah. to waste some time. All right, what's the movie that defined your childhood? The movie that defined my childhood. Oh, goodness. Um... You, you know, I, I've enjoyed James Bond films over the years. I've been able to see them with my dad. So just if we're staying all the time I had, I got to go with GoldenEye. Okay. Solid pick. All right. Where was I? Okay. Uh, best movie villain you can think of. Best movie villain I can think of. Rafe finds in Schindler's List. Mm, that's pretty ruthless for sure. Um, what's what's the movie you've seen the most? Probably Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Yet to see that one. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, favorite... it, it actually made more than Star Wars that year. Came out the same year. Oh my! Interesting. Um, favorite actor or actress? Um, or any, or on each side, either however you want to answer it. Um, 
I've, I've always been a big Jimmy Stewart guy. Some of Hitch's best movies uh, mm-hmm. were with Jimmy Stewart. And I would argue as well, Justin, that John Wayne's best movie was not True Grit, but The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance, which had James Stewart in it. So, mm-hmm. so gotta go with Jimmy, favorite actress. Oh man, um, Streeper, that doesn't feel accurate. Frances McDormand, that, that doesn't feel accurate, but those are two names that come to my brain. I recently saw the most un-Jimmy Stewart, uh, Jimmy Stewart performance I've ever seen with, he was in uh, The Greatest Show on Earth as this clown. Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> with total, didn't have the the mannerisms at all. I was just like, huh, okay. I wouldn't have known it was him until, I mean, a little later on you can kind of tell it's him, but definitely not at first. He is hidden behind that makeup. Uh, been a lot of years since I've um, seen that movie, but like any DeMille lavish look. I think that's probably not as bad as the critics give it credit for. I think there are several other worse best pictures than Greatest Show on Earth. I'd agree. Uh, Movies you are most looking forward to seeing coming up, or currently out. Okay, currently, I mean, that's a key distinction. Currently out... I gotta go with, and my pronunciation, forgive me, Shang-Chi and Uh the Eternals, and No Time to Die. It's been a while since I've really done a deep dive into current movies, so so I can probably go on, but let's stick with those three. You were with me when we went to go see um, Casino Royale in the theater. I was, yeah, Daniel Craig's first. I do recall uh, that now. Um, that that along with Skyfall would be my two favorite Daniel Craig's so far. Sure. The the, uh, the others drop pretty far down down the list. Yeah, I'm pretty anxious to see most stuff. Uh, the Last Duel. Um, I think that's what it's called. The the Ridley Scott flip flick. Really wanted to see that French Dispatch. It's just so hard to actually get out to the theater. Um, did you hear about the uh, the, the special Rocky screening that's going on tonight? I uh, I did not. Yeah, it's a Fathom event. They're doing um, the director's cut of Rocky Four, which okay. I probably would have definitely been there, but they're supposed to be streaming it in a couple days, so I'll just I'll just catch it streaming. But um, I'm looking. Apparently, they're adding 40 minutes to it, so hopefully, that's just not more of the robot. We'll see. That, that's really big of you, Justin. I'm not sure even as many podcasts as you've done, your audience appreciates how much you love Rocky Four. Because I can tell you, I sure heard about it a lot while we were attending school together. <laughs> not that there was anything wrong with that, you know. I was... I was pleased to see Ivan Drago in Creed 2, which is probably the most underrated of the Rocky series. I thought Creed 2 had some really smart things to say about fatherhood. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, I definitely need to give that one another look. I think I was a little underwhelmed with the fight choreography in that one, so it kind of, um, I dogged it a little bit, but it's probably worth another look. I mean, I, I can't, I can't speak to how solid the fighting was. That was just another Rocky movie for me. But mm. I, I really thought the emotion of the story and the life changes. And I will tell you, at that time, I had not yet become a father, but wanted to become one. And okay. I thought, yeah, this is. This is kind of something I can get behind. This is like good preparation for what may come and ultimately did. Cool. Congrats again on that. Um, Yeah. Right. What's a movie that really clicked for you by the end? That really clicked for me. Yeah, that you kind of feeling so-so about it or you just didn't get it at all. But then you had that big aha moment right there. And the climax. Um, 
you you know first you know foreign correspondent actually that was a movie i really wanted to like and critics were kind of ho-hum about it is my understanding when it when it first came out but just That's... watching stuff it's a hit the hitchcock one oh okay i was thinking that, about matt damon and the informant for a second there okay <laughs> I, at, well we didn't see it together but we saw it at about the same time and i wanted to like it more but you know there were there were some scenes in there though it that were a little slower going in the beginning and has hitchcock was trying to play things for laughs and that irritates for me but the action level started to ramp up and that great great scene in there let's just say it involves an airplane you know what i'm talking about and um hey it was raw raw journalism and you know my parents have a journalism background so i'm always raw raw solid journalism yeah, I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. Glad that we teamed up to watch that one. Uh, a cool, coolest uh, movie theater experience. Oh gosh, uh, you, you know, any time I go to Columbia's Columbia, South Carolina's art house movie theater, the Nickelodeon, which I actually volunteered at one summer when they were at their old location just being among movie fans smelling the high quality popcorn always a great time rah rah the nickelodeon if you're ever in columbia listeners please go check it out very cool definitely on my bucket list unfortunately when it was easy to go to uh didn't make the time but um hopefully i get there eventually uh, favorite movie to recommend to kids? I kind of came up with this one since you are an educator. Um, oh gosh, favorite movie to recommend to kids? Um, I would certainly recommend the original Muppet movie is a wonderful one. Um, I would say The Lion King as well, which I know was a really important one. Uh, to your childhood as well as to mine and my wife's. So those two both. Okay. What order should people watch the Star Wars uh, Tri Saga with <laughs> in? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you, you know, the three that were first made still have the greatest level of enjoyment for me um so so i would watch those first if you're patient enough to watch the prequels go ahead and watch them after that and then the most recent three um as the final ones um my my dear friend paul inman really turned me on to the last last jedi and why that was the best of the most recent trilogy and that definitely opened my eyes the second viewing I had of that, which I actually, come to think of it, watched for the last time you and I spoke. That was how I uh, spoke on your podcast. Yeah, I would agree with that order. Um, I, I'm always preferential to uh, yeah how things came out. Um, one time I saw this like little map of like how you watch like the MCU movies in chronological order. I'm like. Nah, just just watch them how they came out, or watch the ones you want to watch. So yeah, yeah this is jumping around to to make it a sequential sequential story. Not a fan of. Alrighty, so uh, first pretentious movie that comes to mind. Oh gosh, I'm 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 trying to remember the exact name of it, but it's got. It's got Ava Green in it, and it it had an NC-17 rating because her character kind of has her thing for her 
brother, why can I not think of the name of this movie? It was a Bertolucci movie. Oh, which Last I Tango in Paris? Left. Say again? Are you talking about Last Tango no, in Paris? Not, not Last Tango in Paris. This was another NC-17 Bertolucci movie. Uh, it, was, it, it had some name called... I'm going to say the young people, but that's not the name. I'm wondering, let me see if I can, I don't know if I can still, if I can look at Bernard, let me just look up Ava Green. It's going to come to me and I'm going to be like, oh yeah, that movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Dreamers is what it was called. Okay. What year did that come out? Wow, she was a piano teacher. I didn't realize Bertolucci was making movies that late. Uh, Ava Green? No, Bertolucci. Oh, Bertolucci. Yeah, yeah, 2003. NC-17, The Dreamers. Uh, Yeah, pretty pretty graphic sex scene, uh, I must must say. Uh, Definitely a, a full... Full on I okay now this is saying the release date was two thousand and four actually. I'm saying Might have been uh, different in different countries or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh but but yeah, the dreamers. Uh, yeah, I've been quite split on Bertolucci. Like I love um The Last Emperor, but One. um I wasn't all that hot on um what's it is the uh not the informant it's um the it's a soviet movie oh geez now i'm gonna have to look it up um the okay anything you can fill any any favorites from bertolucci from you (laughs) you mentioned soviet movies I, I, I can't recall if you and i saw this together but one movie that did not have Soviet leads, but had people playing Soviets, including Lee Marvin, was Gorky Park. I had okay. fun in that movie. Yeah, uh, I remember what. Did, did I? Did I? Did I uh, drag you into watching that one? You, you might well have, but I'm glad you did. Hey, Lee Marvin's awesome. I uh, recently, I guess it was a few months back now, got to see Point Blank, which is probably a little bit of an overrated movie but still it's lee marvin so you watch it yeah um, I, I think i've seen his three big ones i saw the conformist which i thought was a little overrated um last emperor's great and last tango um i was a little split on that i really appreciated the craft but it's yeah it's a toughie <laughs> I, I i talked about that one with joey he hated that one <laughs> I have not seen Last Tango, I must confess. A weirdest movie that comes to mind. Weirdest? Um, that would have to be The Human Centipede. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I, that, that easily f- falls into that place. <laughs> uh, and finally, last but not least, question 25 of The Blitz, the schlockiest movie you've ever seen, which harkens back to uh, Joey's uh, spinoff podcast. He's doing schlock talk now. Oh, the gosh, schlockiest movie. Yeah. You know, I probably saw it edited, but I'm gonna have to go with Porky's. Okay. Still need to see that one. Goodness. So many movies, so little time. Alright, we're gonna take a quick break and then that we're gonna dive into our feature movie of this episode, which is Lady Hawk. Hey. Be right back.
Each generation is called upon to follow its own quest. And what is your quest? I must kill a man. Tell me, does this walking corpse have a name? All right, we're talking about Ladyhawk here. Uh, the story is about a young thief who is unwilling, unwillingly gets involved with a warrior and his lady who are hunted by a bishop of Aquila. <laughs> as he learns about the couple's past in secret. He himself uh, determined to help them overcome the bishop's oppression, both in arms and in the form of a curse. So that synopsis, courtesy of Wikipedia. Uh, I usually get the IMDb one, but like the IMDb one didn't include um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character at all. So I thought that one was a little bit more well-rounded. Uh, this movie is directed and produced by Richard Donner. Um, the Goonies came out the same year, which is a fun fact. Um, i trying to remember, what did he, I mean, he had done The Omen, and he had done um, Superman, obviously, before this. Uh, this one stars Matthew Broderick, uh, Rucker Hauer, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, ben, how, what, um, what, what led you to put off Lady Hawk for so long? How'd you hear about this one? Well, you know, uh, I guess I'd heard about before, but Richard Donner had passed away this summer, as we know. And, you know, I thought it was finally time. I'm into watching 80s movies that I have missed. Uh, you you and I are pretty close in age. You're actually a year younger than me, about a year and a half younger than I am. And, uh, but still, you know, around the same time, and especially with Stranger Things being so in vogue right now, it just seemed like the ideal time. Um, why did I put it all? Uh, I guess because I, I have this tendency to avoid sword and sorcery in my reading life as well as my movie watching life. So I've kind of been trying to go back and see more of the sword and sorcery stuff that's out there. I recently saw Dragon Slayer for the first time, if you've ever had a chance to watch that. On my list, yeah. I haven't really prioritized these um, sorcerer 80s uh, flicks, but maybe something I should start doing. Um, I'd never heard of Lady Hawk until I was watching this YouTube um channel uh oliver hmm, i'm gonna have to go look this up i didn't prepare this part of it um anyways he's really good at um putting together kind of um movie retrospects let me uh and yeah i was just going through his whole catalog of um things he had done and lady hawk just happened to be one of them and and that was kind of the time i had just gotten on letterboxd so um i put it down on my watch list and just really never got to it, and oh, come on, pop right up with this. Oh, here we go. Oliver Harper's Retrospectives and Reviews, and it was funny. I listened to this thing again earlier today, and a lot of his comments, uh, like, although, like, I guess technically this movie got spoiled for me through that. I didn't remember a bit of it, so uh, not really, and um yeah, I would say a lot of our opinions matched up. So I'm curious to hear what you think pretty soon. Um, yeah, I had never heard of this one before. Um, so I looked at the cover and it kind of looked like Matthew Broderick's wearing a hoodie. So I was kind of envisioning this movie being like in modern day, but like with the past kind of like reaching out and having kind of a, yep, you got the Blu-ray right there. Um, so yeah, I really envisioned this being a modern story with a past element, but no, this all takes place in the medieval times, which I think um, Donner, my, Donner himself might have got a little mixed up on. <laughs> so, all right, here's a few fun facts here. Um, one of the hawks featured in this movie named Spike Two worked at the Universal Bird Show up until the year 2000. Um, three of the, ca the castles used in this movie um, this was shot in Italy, and um, the Italian movie director uh, Lachico Vasanti and his family owned three castles. 
I mean, I, I don't really think it's interesting that he happened to own those castles. Just the fact that he owned three castles um, really Great. struck Ring a Bell. Uh, castles what I am. Okay, so Richard Donner originally wanted to cast um, Rucker Hauer as the evil Captain Guard. And uh, Kurt Russell was uh, slated to be in the um, the leading role there as the, the gallant knight. Um and yeah, I, from what I have heard, uh, Kurt Russell was not into wearing the medieval uh, period uh, costuming and dropped out. Um, Warner Brothers actually falsely marketed this as a true medieval legend. Uh, shame on you. Yeah, a lot of the retrospectives I heard, a lot of people were confused how they were going to sell this thing as a medieval um, adventure comedy. So yeah, romance. Um Definitely fits all those categories. Let's see. Some of the people that they wanted to have the main um, Matthew, Matthew Broderick spot was Sean Penn and um, Dustin Hoffman, I believe it was. And yeah, so it eventually fell to Matthew Broderick, who was big off the success of war games at that point. Um, oh, the the evil bishop, uh, Donner was looking at Jagger, which I think would have probably been a lot more interesting. But uh, have you uh, seen yeah. um, have you seen Fitzcarraldo before? Uh, you know I have not, but I really, really want to. That's definitely on my, I guess you'd say my next ten list. Okay. Um, I, I will say, I I can I can see Sean Penn and Broderick's role, but how are they justifying Dustin Hoffman? Because, yeah. I mean, even by that point, he had been around the block a few times as an actor. Yes, but, I mean, he could have definitely pulled it off in the 60s whenever he was doing The Graduate. But um, Exactly. That, definitely probably a little too old by that point. Um, and the reason I bring up um, Fitzcarraldo is because McJagger was slated uh, to be in the... Um, oh, geez, what's the nutty guy in that movie? Um, Klaus Kinski role Klaus Kinski so, and I um, started to see a movie of and for some reason I never finished uh the the remake of Nosferatu okay this was a really long time ago just I, I I can't imagine you remember it we were uh we were staying for some reason at at that at that very well-known house of mm -hmm. our college days. And I don't think I got to finish it for some reason or another. Maybe my parents were picking me up or something. If it's the same night, I remember, I remember watching for a few dollars more um, with an older mate of ours who uh, kind of explained that movie, which was kind of fun. And then, yeah, we finished the night off with a Nosferatu. So, yeah, I do have a pretty vivid memory of that um anywho and the last casting thing i thought was interesting was donner was looking at sean connery for the uh the gallant um captain um who's basically been i guess blackballed against the bishop's forces man these e these evil religious leaders in these movies all right yeah. So I'll start running through some of my notes, and uh, yeah, feel free to interject anytime you want to uh, comment. Please. Or <laughs> I, I would be happy to. That's why I'm here. Yeah. All right. So overall, I thought this had a lot of solid pieces, but it's <laughs> really, really cheesy. Um, oh man, the the synthesizer music. There are there were some very well known critics who say move past it, audiences. But forgive me, I couldn't do it. I I, I wanted to like this movie so so much more than I did. Uh, I guess the music was done by the Alan Parsons Project, which uh, Donner was obsessed with at the time. And yeah, just from the opening credits all the way to the very end, whenever the music cranks up, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like it's like video game music. I mean, it's really catchy, yeah, but it, it does not fill in this. You know what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just was just saying it doesn't fit in this time frame at all. 
I was going to say, you and I saw a movie together. We actually saw it at your house. It was a kind of so-so, but also with really great set pieces movie called Cobra. And I thought this music would fit so perfectly in Cobra. (laughs) But not in the film that I'm watching right now. Couple of the retrospectives I listened to, they really hearkened on the fact that Donner was into authenticity, and so they think he was pretty, pretty off his rocker to be putting in um, synth rock music in his uh, medieval fantasy uh, movie. Now, now, wasn't the Philadelphia Philharmonic involved with it in some way? In addition to the Alan Parkinson's project, I'm trying to find the movie credits here for Lady. Because it I wouldn't surprise like me in the in the in that climactic like romance of like the two leads coming together um, had some more traditional symphonic music that they 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 may well have been involved with, which fit the scene way better than all the stuff I that came before it. Definitely. So the other tent pole I would or the the tent poles I say um, really make this worth its beans is. Um, Camera, the camera work, cinematography is oh, stunning. Incredible. And, um, and, and I mean, what you say, Justin, that, that that's always been a thing with Richard Donner. You look at the screen in his movies. You can't really look away. Um, to, to paraphrase the tagline for one of his other movies, you, you will believe a toilet can explode. Of course, I'm making reference to the, uh, the the famous scene in Lethal Weapon 2, for those of you who haven't seen it. You will believe a toilet can explode and not kill somebody. Okay. Yeah, between uh, the awesome uh, medieval set design throughout with the castles and the... Um, I was going to... Let me see. I, I had this note coming up, but I would say... I really enjoyed how all like the bad guy army was all really distinct in red, and then like their captain was in um, in gold. Um, so it was really clear who was who, which really helped the action um, work. I would say, um, yeah. And overall, the, the the medieval action throughout was really good as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, the the folks falling off the roof. Although that could even be. A little, little cheesy at times. Uh, I I will say too, and you you may well be about to touch on this, but this this movie has an epic romance. Unfortunately, that epic romance is between Richard Donner and Lauren Schuler, and not Michelle Pfeiffer and Rutger Hauer. Um. Yeah, I did hear that. Um, yeah, he was about. And what was her role again? Was she a she producer? She was uh, one of the producers, and yeah. and this is where they they met, fell in love, and married, and ended up being a really dynamic production team, even perhaps as influential as he was as a director, if not more so. I was looking at some of her producer credits, and, and she was involved with some high-quality stuff uh, once she got married to him and a little bit before. Some really solid uh, visual storytelling off the top as we see Broderick escaping this prison through tunneling through a wall. Um, yeah. We yep. see the, uh, I guess, persecution of the bishop upon, like, the commoners that he has locked up, who he locks up for whatever reason he feels like. Now, what did you think of Matthew Broderick's constant quirky chattering to himself? Oh, I, I that, that was one of my notes. I, Ferris Buer had not come out yet, as we know. And I thought this worked so well in Ferris Viewer's Day Off, but here it is irritating as old Get Out. My goodness. And they pass <laughs> it off as talking to God. <laughs> not sure who he was he was talking to, but 
I, I feel like he's still talking centuries later, or his character is still talking centuries later. This is an interesting topic because there's a real fine line with, between being able to do this and do it well. Um, I always mark uh, Die Hard as the gold standard, where McLean is, you know, like talking to himself in the elevator shaft. It's just enough, but you, you, you know, you're in that moment and believe, you know, he would be making that snide remark maybe just just to himself. But with Broderick going on and on and on about this and that, and it's like, I'm not. I don't really get hung up about people don't act like this in movies, but <laughs> this was excessive and it started to push my buttons for sure. Uh, in in addition to the techno music, which yeah. our synthesizer music, which I know we mentioned before, but I have to mention <laughs> again because it kept coming and coming. And, and there's coming. like this bass, these bass guitar riffs, and it's like, yeah, not working. Um, he was quite the master of disguise there <laughs> whenever like these troops were coming up on this like rubble hill and went after they pass he like poked his head up and you know <laughs> he's he's quite um elusive there um I, man i love that shot of like he it's like snowing and there's like a river and you have all these trees in the background really really pretty stuff so if none else this movie looks really good um man That's he amazing. picked he picked the wrong bar to start bragging all about his uh, master escape routine because the people who are looking at him are just sitting right there having some drinks, waiting to snatch him up, apparently. Yeah, I've forgotten that scene. All right. Um, oh, in addition to how uh, neat a lot of the um, period costume costume-making is, um, there's the very interesting knight's mask that's like bars and then there's like a space another bar and then on either side of the um the helmet they have like feathers um i think from what i was reading the the name of the town is actually in italy and it, italian is like i think it means eagle and then obviously the lady hawk aspect of this so very birdie they stayed with the bird thing Oh my, Matthew Broderick bitching to God about doing chores, saying he would rather be in the dungeon. Okay, <laughs> if you say so, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> but um, um, I'm I'm just thinking of his line from Ferris Bueller, the uh, the the one about life and not getting out alive. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking of the one where um, if you might, if you don't wake up, it might pass you by. One. Um, now, are you, are you you're familiar with day for night photography? Um, I, I'm sort of familiar with the golden hour. Well, day for night is when they shoot it during the day, but they put a blue filter over it to pretend mm -hmm. like it's at night. I'm pretty sure they did that in this movie, but. It didn't stand out enough for me to complain. I was just like eyeballing it. I'm just like, kind of looks like day for night, but it's all right. You got to do that See, sometimes. See, I'm not as up on the technical aspects as as you are, but I mean, it's still, you know, it's. It, I, hey, listen, I, that that passed me by. I was I was enthralled still by the visuals, even if it as a whole didn't quite work for me. I, I will say I enjoyed the performance very much of, and now I can't think of his friggin' name, uh, but the the guy, oh, Leo McCurn, of course. Leo McCurn as the monk. Oh, I yes. also, and you see him for just, and I'll go back to Leo McCurn in a moment, but mm -hmm. I also enjoyed seeing him for just a moment, Alfred Molina, in what had to have been one of his earlier roles. Yeah, speaking uh, of um, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home coming out soon. Yep. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, oh just, just Alfred Molina. Lena, fabulous actor. He wasn't given much to do here, but I enjoyed uh, enjoyed seeing him all the same. 
Yeah, kind of a master wolf hunter, I guess. He's supposed to be passed off here with that crazy haircut and dirty face. Um, I was going to say, uh, if you ever watch Jaws 3, um, again, for whatever reason, that's the one where it's like at the SeaWorld complex. There's some really, really terrible instances for day for night that stand, stick out. So, anywho, um, so yeah, the whole plot about the Transmorpher what was going on there i kind of had a feeling that was where it was going um and sure enough pfeiffer turns to a hawk by day and howard turns to a wolf by night um, i mean that that got spoiled for me oh at really some point. and then um let's see here Again, excellent landscapes between the mountains, the hills, the misty forest. I mean, you really can't complain with the on, on set photography Great here. Costume design, as you've said, and uh, Howard's, Howard the good guy dressing in black. Um, yeah. Though that distinctive 80s blonde hair sort of slaps you in the face. Mm. Although that, I guess, is his actual hair. Interesting how um, so often religious leaders are portrayed as complete assholes during this period of time where they're off to get one one up on the peasants. I uh, mean, I, I, I'd have to go back to my history, but obviously uh, the Crusades were a, a pretty poor time for the Christian faith in terms of decisions of the religious leaders. That's probably one of the coolest swords I've seen in a movie with how long it was and how it had that kind of like spiky thing in the middle and then how Howard's kind of like talking about all the the gems in it that um, are reminiscent of like his family. As you said before, the magic hour shots, um, some great ones there with... Rucker Hauer up on that horse and he would call the hawk and yeah there's a lot of um fades and the um seeing like the sun go down because that is you know that plays a central theme and in changing them from one entity to another so we see a lot of plenty of that so Howard and Broderick they're on a mission to go back to the bishop to take him out and um Broderick gets dragged along because he knows the dungeons, but he, he said, oh, that was just a coincidence of once and once in a whatever happening. But um, yeah, he gets drunk along and ends up being kind of like the little kid in this like love story between these two people that can't be together. That's kind of how it started feeling. The third, the third whale. Yeah. Uh, on, on an extended date night. Very yeah. adolescent third wheel at that. Uh, for sure. All right. Um, All right. So, um, during one of the encounters, Howard and ha um and the hawk get shot. Oh yeah. And so Broderick must take the hawk over to the religious guy, the priest, who you had said. And that's when we finally, yep, we finally learn about the curse, um, about how they are doomed to be together, but not in human form. And that was as a result of a. And I, I didn't really catch on to this until I was kind of flicking back through it, but um, I guess he's kind of a weakness to the drink, and so Broderick is like kept, keeps like filling up his glass to you know hear the scoop on you know what's going on, and apparently that same thing happened one night when he was talking to the bishop, and so he outed Howard and Pfeiffer's romance because apparently everybody was in love with Pfeiffer, so in order to get back, I'm not sure how this bishop conquered this this. Um, curse. Uh, was there any insight to that? I don't recall there being anything. Uh, not, not off the top of my head. One also wonders how he's able to stay secure in a castle without uh, anybody protecting him, because he doesn't mm. seem like he'd be the greatest of fighters. Great actor, though. Uh, people who watch the BBC uh, know him for, as as a judge in on the show Rumpole at the Bailey. You can Google that if you like a good uh, mystery. 
Um, so the priest character that you were speaking highly of, um, I thought he had a really solid subplot of the fact that, you know, he essentially accidentally betrayed his friends, but this is kind of yeah. the story of redemption. Uh, there's my Alfred Molina note. Um, talk about some great timing with uh, her falling from that tower and transforming into a bird and Rucker Howard just happens to be over there on a rock to <laughs> um, cap the guy with the, um, what was it, a crossbow just in the nick of time. So Convenience of nice. the movies. Absolutely. But um, it was fun how it was kind of, you, know, you almost had that Home Alone effect where like, Half the bridge was like sabotage, so the guy fell through it, and he had like a faulty bridge, and so he was definitely ready for any uh, people messing with him to take them out in orderly fashion. What's the story? Some Italian castle show he always pretend to, except so, it was supposed to be in France. Okay, that sounds right. Um. So this is probably the part of the movie where I think this this 90-minute movie getting dragged out into two hours kind of started to be more apparent for me. Um, did it ever drag for you? Uh, I mean, it, it dragged through throughout, but okay. great visuals. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah... I was getting a little sleepy whenever I was watching this one, so a few times I had to kind of rewind to see what I missed. And I mean, yeah, there was a few pieces I missed um, that you know, flicking back through it kind of um, made me m more aware of like the when there's like this rescue out on the ice and stuff like that. And um, did you even notice? Did you do you recall the scene where Matthew Broderick has like scratches all over his chest or whatever from? Um, the wolf having scratched him whenever he saved him from the ice or whatever. And it's a really, really small thing. But there just seems to be all these little one-off scenarios that are like, oh, this is very dangerous, but now it's over kind of thing. Kind of reminded I me mean, of Lord I of the Rings in that way. I seen. I don't remember the scratches on him. They moved on so, so quickly. Yep, yep. All right. So, um... Looking back on the effect, okay, so there's the big scene where she's like sheltered from the sun, and so Howard like transforms from wolf into human again, and she's kind of delayed in turning into a bird. And like the the effects are a little cheesy, but the overall impact of like this being this like romantic like moment of them like seeing each other again, but then. Her still transforming into um, a hawk. I thought there was some a thoughtful romantic flair there. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 was one of the few times that romance seemed to, to work for me. I mean, I don't mean to agree with you throughout this podcast, but uh, but you and I seem to be on a pretty similar page of how this thing thing was. And I can tell you, we have not always been in our movie watching time over the years. Yeah, and it'll probably we, not on Goonies, I, I suspect. Although yeah, I maybe so. it's something I just need to rewatch. Perhaps. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, we didn't pregame this one at all. So, um, yeah. Nope. Our original honest thoughts all, all up front here. Um, I was feeling this was pretty wishy-washy at this part of the movie with how they're like, oh, we're going to kill the hawk, or am I even going to join you guys to go to the bishop's kingdom and they're just i mean there's a little bit of good solid character development there but overall i thought it was pretty drawn out um finally getting to the climax uh broderick sneaks back into the castle same way he did before and becomes this last master lock pick and nobody sees him hanging on this door picking this enormous lock during whatever ceremony they're having i guess not even the bishop who's up at the front all right. Um, okay. Then we get to our climactic battle. Um, I enjoyed how Howard, you know, burst in and his galloping horse, and they did a little bit of a sword jousting to start off with. And overall, this was a really entertaining, solid fight, which I probably would watch this movie again just for that aspect of it. Um, I'm a little lost on what. Did you really get a grasp of why they wanted to kill the hawk beyond the fact that a, a painless death or something? No, no, okay. that, 
<laughs> no, that was over my head. I mean, who, who do you even mean when you say they? Was that the? Well, the uh, um, the, the priest, the priest, the priest fa- friend was because they like he's oh, hanging out by the window. Um, and they have the, the the bird's head covered, and Howard's wishes were to stab it, but then like we get this eclipse thing, and so you know. This is this rare instance where they're able to break the curse as a result of the right. eclipse, which was a fun touch. But I don't really, I'm not really, I'm a little confused with the setup of it because I'm not really sure what they were expecting and and what the plan was there. As much as this movie drags out, you'd think this would all be a little bit more thorough, but a lot of stuff um, kind of themes seems thrown together at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the romance part of that. Um, even the bishop's taken aback at her sight. And man, that was one hell of a throw of a sword to to catch the bishop and pin him up against um whatever. Again, um, you had mentioned Dang. zero security for this guy. That that felt so very eighties action movie. Like, yeah, yeah, you can that that right there tells you this was made in nineteen eighty five. Amen. Or, premiered it in 1985 um i feel like i should give uh the the audience a little bit of perspective that this movie came out in april um without looking it up you want to take a stab at what was the number one movie uh the week this came out in april i think i cheated on this so um I think one of the things I was reading was it was like Police Academy 2. Police Academy 2, their first assignment. So and I think that was in its third week, too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Moving Violations, uh, which is a mildly amusing 80s, exactly what it sounds like, mm-hmm. driving comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, was also pretty high up there. So I'm not really sure it came out at the ideal time anyway. Yeah, this um, seems like I more of say, a December movie, if I were to spitball it yeah, as a studio it exec. So right. folks, folks are going out uh, with the holiday season. Absolutely. I can see that. All right, so yeah, I had already mentioned, yeah, the fact I was kind of tired watching this, so I missed a few of the smaller details, which I did catch on a little bit of a run-through. Um, I would say this is a solid three and a half stars in my book. Um, it's great because of the filmmaking. It's not so great because Matthew Broderick is, the comedy just doesn't work, and then the, the score is pathetic. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give it three um i I do want to jump back a moment and say sure i enjoyed michelle pfeiffer's moment of exaltation i've already mentioned when harry met sally uh tonight it it did have a little bit of a feel of the i'll have what she's having Mm. uh (laughs) experience if you're familiar with that film i don't mean you i mean listeners man michelle pfeiffer uh she played a catwoman in batman returns uh great job in that she was also with sean connery in the russia house oh Um, i haven't seen that one yeah uh, she was kind of just a pretty face in this one unfortunately um I, i will her her First big soaring role, and sometimes TCM will play this, was as the uh, leader of the Pink Ladies in Grease 2. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember that being... I haven't seen it, but I recall her name being dropped there. For some reason, Michelle Pfeiffer and Sharon Stone always come... Or always pair up in my mind. Not sure why. Uh, Basic Instinct would have been out around the time of Batman Returns. Okay. Actually, uh, pretty sure I podcasted about that one. Yeah, I think that was one of uh, Joey's Joey's picks. 
Cool, cool, cool. All right, well, that's all my notes. Got any um, any other final comments? Uh, would have would have loved to enjoy this movie more, uh, but it it is it is what it is. I need to see some more Donner flicks. I will say it's it's probably better than uh, than the toy with Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor, which is another Donner flick and certainly a rougher one. Uh, to watch with a 21st century mindset than than even uh, Lady Hulk. Oh, interesting. Have you ever I've... seen the toy? No. Richard, uh, uh, Jackie Gleason plays this rich dude who mm-hmm. pays Richard Pryor to play with his son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I wish I were making that up, but oh, yeah. that consider all the implications of that, and yeah. it's a little rough. Crazy. All right, well, thanks so much for joining me, Ben. Please follow the Average Joe's Movie Club cast on YouTube and look for my reviews on Letterboxd. I'm Justin Peterson. Um, if people were interested in to hear more from you, Ben, where would they look for you? Oh, gosh. Um, you're always welcome to email me at BenjaminHiggins84 at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but you'll have to dig a little bit to find me. All right. Have a great day, everyone, and keep watching good movies. <laughs>